Before we get to today's career journey, I'd like to thank Surfshark VPN for sponsoring this episode. Surfshark VPN is essential for any student who works remotely as much as I do. If you don't want prying eyes while you're enjoying a horchata almond milk frappuccino at your local Starbucks, then get Surfshark VPN today. You'll be able to surf social media and stream your favorite content stress-free knowing Surfshark has you and your data covered. The average person spends six to eight hours online daily, so privacy is really important. Surfshark VPN encrypts all internet traffic to and from your computer and provides a level of privacy all students and parents desire. Surfshark VPN also blocks pesky ads, I hate those, trackers, malware, and shady people from getting your private data. And the best part about Surfshark is they allow me to access my streaming content anywhere in the world. I can enjoy The Tick in Tunisia, Monk in Malaysia, and The Big Bang Theory in Bangkok. Just for our listeners, you can try Surfshark VPN today with 83% off and a free month. Just use promo code LEARNFROMOTHERS to sign up. Keep yourself safe with Surfshark today. This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce my special guest today, Tom Sinan. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for taking us on your career journey. But before we find out what you're actually doing today, if you would, could you tell me what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I knew right away from my first memory, I always wanted to be a cop. There was no other question. There was nothing I could have done differently, nothing I wanted to do. It was it was just to be a cop. Well, that's really awesome. So if you would, tell me, what do you do today? <laughs> I am a cop. How about that? It came wow. through. You know, I've interviewed, at this point, I've interviewed about 125 people, and you're probably the fourth person that what they wanted to be when they were little is what they actually do today. So it's very rare that this actually happens. So that's kind of cool. I, it is pretty crazy. I, I, don't, I couldn't imagine doing anything else other than this. And I do realize I got lucky doing it. There are a lot of people who don't even know what they want to do in life. And this is my first dream was to be a cop. My dad was in, in police work in some fashion throughout most of his life. So I think it might have been some of that influence. But I, did, I really thought I would, one, I was going to save the world. And I wanted to save the world and change the world and make people's lives better and, and be the good guy, catch all the bad guys. And Batman was my favorite character. So I wanted to be Batman and do all the good in the world, and I get to do it, so I am, I'm very, very lucky. You know, that's really, really cool. So could you take us from that moment when you were a little kid and you want to be a cop, and how did you achieve it? What was your career path to get to where you are today? Well, it wasn't an easy one. I, I wish I would have figured out an easier way to do it, but I always wanted to be a cop. But then I knew I wasn't going to be able to get into college, one, partly, and this may be kind of a self-down a self picture of myself but I didn't think I'd be able to get into college that I wasn't smart enough to get into college school was not my favorite thing I was pretty social but I wasn't good at math and some other things that I knew I would need in college so I ended up going into the Marine Corps I thought that if I went into the Marine Corps and I was able to be a Marine I put that on the resume it would open up a lot of doors which it ended up doing but going into the Marine Corps is not the easiest path to get to your career obviously (laughs) But it ended up teaching me a lot of things, and probably one of the biggest things it taught me that I needed throughout my career was resiliency and that 
that ability to believe in yourself and achieve things that you couldn't think that you could achieve before. And as much as people think the Marine Corps is about warriors and war, which there is that, that's the basis of being in a Marine Corps, but they also teach you about being this part of a bigger picture, of being able to be part of good for the world and, and do other good things for the world. I mean, they've done things in Haiti and, and other places with when natural disasters have happened. So the Marine Corps, I always felt like you were the good guy when you were a Marine. So that ended up helping out tremendously to get to the career. And, and that opened up a lot of doors. And I ended up working uh, for free as a cop in a small town, Terrace Park. My dad was an auxiliary police officer there. So he got me to meet the police chief. And uh, he had a tremendous influence on me. The police chief was this big, burly guy, just a super great guy who, even though he was in a small town, he had a big influence on a lot of other people. So I learned a lot from him, and he put me on, and I worked for two years as a police officer at Terrace Park and then got full-time in Newtown, uh, and that's how I became a police officer. Okay, so now while you were in the military, did you function as, like, the military police at all, or was it just after your military career? Well, it's funny because when I went in the Marines, they, well, you, you speak to your recruiter, and he said you get to pick three things, and then the Marine Corps will pick one of those three things. So I wanted to be, of course, an MP. Military police was one of them. So I finished boot camp. I barely make it through. I mean, I went into boot camp. I was a small, tiny kid. I weighed 120 pounds when I went into the Marine Corps. <laughs> I wrestled at high school my senior year at 112 pounds. So, but then I get out of boot camp. I weigh 110 pounds, barely made it. Um, and then I'm sitting on the quarter deck, what they call the quarter deck of boot camp, and they're giving out our military occupational skills, what they call the MOS. And they say, hey, sign in, you're 0311. And I'm thinking, well, what if that's MP? And I go, sir, is that MP? And they said, no, you're in the infantry. I go, no, 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 I didn't pick one of those three things. And, of course, they all come and yell at me, you don't get the pick. The Marine Corps picks it for you. So, now I spent four years in the infantry, and that's what I did. Uh, no military police, no, no police background whatsoever in the Marine Corps. It was just infantry. Wow, that's a little depressing, though. You pick three things, and they they pick a fourth. <laughs> I yeah, well, I think that's how you they get you in there sometimes. And when right. you're young, you can be a little naive. So now I ended up uh, actually the I'm glad it did because again I had I was a small kid, so you're in the infantry and you're doing these 20, 25 mile marches and carrying 100, 150 pounds on your back, and it really taught you about overcoming obstacles. And uh, there was a lot. If I was this kid who was didn't think I was good enough for college, I definitely uh, fought my way through the Marine Corps, and that's what every Marine does is you fight your way through the, uh, these obstacles. And it ended up being the lesson that I needed for a long career in law enforcement and to achieve all my goals was that resiliency. I don't think a lot of people talk about how important that is for the ups and downs in life, and when you get knocked down, can you get back up? And in the Marine Corps, they don't care who you are. All they want to know is when you get knocked down, you're going to get back up. And, and that's, that ended up being a great quality for me to have throughout my career. Yeah, that's really, really awesome. Well, can you talk to a little bit about the different options? Once you're a police officer, there's a lot of different directions that can go in. Can you kind of talk a little bit about the opportunities that you've been able to uh, do yourself or just ones that are out there if someone wants to know a little bit more? Yeah, sure. A lot of people think about the bigger departments, and there's a lot of opportunities to do different things within policing there. Um, some people can get attached to a police department with forensic science. Some people get into detective work or they get into command. Uh, they can, there's all canines, all drug work, all kinds of different sections they can get into. And although I had applied for a couple bigger departments, 
Uh, I liked the smaller department, one, because you got to do things, but you got to do everything on your own. No matter what the call was, you had to handle it. If it was a robbery, whatever it may be, you handled it from the beginning to the end. So that appealed to me. But also, I really went into police work thinking that I could change the world. I was naive enough to believe that I could change the world. And in order to do that, I needed to move up within the rank structure. So when I became a police officer in 1993, March 1st, I walked through the front door of the Newtown Police Department, and I literally had this feeling in the four years, and I had stopped, and I had this feeling, this kind of voice that said, this is where you're going to change the world. And it was a small town. It's still a small town. But the department wasn't exactly very progressive at the time. We didn't have a lot of money, so you didn't have good equipment. And there was many years where I thought I made a mistake, but I was a young kid coming into the senior staff who had about 15, almost 20 years on the department. So okay. I believed that if I hung in there, I would be able to move up in that department. And here's what I believed. As a police officer, I could impact one person at a time. When I became a sergeant, now I would have a couple people under me. Now I could impact 10 to 20 people. If I became a lieutenant and had the ability to shift some policies and how we viewed the policing in the community, then I could shift the hunter some people. But right. if I became a police chief, I could influence not only a whole department, but an entire community, an entire region. And that was my goal. And I ended up reaching a police chief in 15 years of my career. And I've now been a police chief for 11 years. Wow, that's really amazing and awesome. And also you're dealing with some of the drug task force, aren't you? Yeah, I ended up watching, so this is what they don't, and this is where resiliency is so important. When you get into policing and you have this naive view that you can change the world, you can make everything better, no one ever teaches you that there's times you're going to be helpless and there's times where you're going to try everything you can and it doesn't work out. So in my community, I had seen in my career, it was about 21 years into my career, I'd seen an entire family die from addiction. I dealt wow. with them numerous times from domestic violence, theft, suicide attempts, fights, all kinds of things. But the mother died from abuse and prescription pills and alcohol. The youngest brother was shot and killed by crack cocaine. The oldest brother overdosed on heroin and fentanyl. And then back in 2014, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, the last brother, his name was Charles, but everybody called him Chucky. And Chucky and I had kind of a unique history. Uh, my first year as a police officer in Newtown, uh, another officer arrested Chucky and a friend of his for carrying concealed weapons and being intoxicated. And I'm, I'm there not even six months, and I go on a call for a domestic violence, come back, and I find my personal car is literally engulfed in flames. It's on fire. Wow. Ended up, long story short, Chucky and his friend thought it was another, the other cop's car. They intentionally set it on fire. So here I am, this small-town cop just started. My car gets caught on fire. At the time, I was making $26,000 a year. That was oh, it. No. Oh, I come no. from this free, being working for free as a cop because this was my dream. I had nothing else I could even think of but being a cop. So I come from this place working for free. I come to Newtown getting a full-time job, making $26,000. My car is burnt to, to the ground. I end up having to file bankruptcy. I didn't have any money, but I absolutely love this job. But I had this connection with Chucky. So Chucky, in 2014, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, I get a call that he overdosed in the street. They brought him back with Narcan. Um, said he's crying down to the station, and he is, doesn't want to die. So my officer calls me up. Hey, where can we get help? 
and at the time we didn't have a heroin coalition. I didn't have a lot of connections being a small town. So I said, look, we got to find them treatment somehow, realizing this is literally the last of the family, not just right. the last of the family, the last of a generation. So I tell the officer, look, take him to the hospital, find some kind of treatment. We'll pay for it. Whatever we got to do, we got to figure out a way to keep Chucky alive. Well, he comes back about an hour later and says, hey, Chucky's refusing any kind of help. But having a better understanding of addiction now, it makes a little bit more sense that the fear of succeeding is just as bad as that familiarity of being in that despair of addiction. Mm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he ended up not going to get help. And I said, well, we've got to keep him alive for at least one more night, take him to jail. So we took him to jail and we accomplished our mission. We kept him alive for one more night. The next morning he got out, he overdosed on what he had of the heroin and fentanyl and died. So I realized wow. that watched this entire family, this entire generation die from addiction and it wasn't just them. Each one of those boys had kids. So the oldest son had five kids who were being raised by the grandparents in our town, three of which are addicted. So it let, I, after seeing it, it had a huge impact. And I was kind of surprised by the impact it had. One is it shattered my dream of this whole thing of being a police officer, saving the world, keeping everything good, making everything better. You realize you see these incidents as a police officer. Or as much as you try, you can't save everyone. You can't make everything better. So reality hits you. So having that reality, I didn't really know where to turn, what to do. So I ended up writing an opinion piece in Cincinnati Inquirer, which really let the emotion of seeing his family, dealing with them for 21 years, watching them die, realizing that you tried all these things and yet you couldn't. And even the next generation coming up is already impacted. So you already know that you've lost partly that generation. So the the article ended up getting a bit of attention, and at the time was the president of the Hammond County Police Chiefs. I ended up meeting with the Hammond County Commissioner's president at the time, Greg Hartman. And the police chiefs, along with some other police officers, were working on, we're going to put together a group of people to deal with the, the heroin that was going on. At the time, it was just heroin, mostly. We were just starting to trickle in fentanyl and said, hey, we're going to put together this group, this coalition group and we're going to try to figure out how we can make a difference in the opiate epidemic ended up meeting with greg hartman he knew some people he got together a steering committee and then we we started in march of 2015 where we had nine members of the hamilton county heroin coalition the founding members of the steering committee we now have over 100 members groups agencies that are involved in it and has now become recognized not just nationally but internationally as a kind of model for community response to not just addiction, but um, to many of these social issues that are difficult to deal with, a community response to deal with those. And you know what? In the end, I realized that I had made my dream come true of changing the world. Wow. That's really cool. That's an amazing story. It's an unfortunate story, obviously. But the fact that you made the realization you can't change everything, you know, you can do what you can do and try to be effective and help others when you can. That's really amazing that that grew from that bad incident and, you know, the issues with the family having generational dependency. Yeah. It, wow. it, you realize as a cop, because here's the thing about being a cop, it, you really are kind of like Batman. Uh, a lot of cops think that they're Superman, all of these superheroes, because you're putting these positions by yourself or maybe with another cop, and you're trying to fix these huge issues, whether it's domestic violence. Uh, addiction, mental health, whatever the issue may be, you're the first one there. You're the first one called. And often you're there for bad things, and people are looking to you for the answers. 
So it was really difficult realizing that I didn't have all the answers, that my friends, the other cops didn't have all the answers, that we were just trying things and we were stuck in a system that only gave us a few options. And I tell people with addiction, here I am as a cop, just like any other cop, trying to deal with addiction, and my tools are a gun, mace, handcuffs, and jail. Whether it's addiction, mental health, whatever it may be, these chronic mental, medical health conditions, that's what we, we as first responders, the cops, that's the tools we have. So it made me realize we have to have other people who are actually experts in that and have the resources and skills to do with it, to deal with it. And that ended up having that coalition. And it's made a big difference. We wish we could make a bigger difference, not only in saving lives, but getting more people into active recovery. But no matter what, it's one of the first times that you can that you think about in history where law enforcement has brought a group of this community together saying, look, we can't do this on our own. We need people with mental health experience, people with addiction experience. We need the health department. We need elected officials. We need uh, social workers. We need all these people to help us and connect as a community. Let us as law enforcement be that link to get people the help they need. And then it's not so much on us, and I don't mean it like it's a burden that we shouldn't be dealing with it. It's just we don't have the tools and resources. So can we bring those people together that can do that? And as a law enforcement officer, what that ends up doing, that whole naive belief that you can change the world, now you have the people, the knowledge, the skills, and the resources that can help you do it. So it really is shifting law enforcement. And where it's going to go in the next decade is going to be fascinating. And we're struggling in law enforcement. Are we a first responder or are we just law enforcers? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know this might be a difficult question to answer, but what is your typical work week like as the chief of police? Well, it changed a lot now. Um, it is my department pretty much runs itself. I've got a, an incredible group of police officers who are very independent, very good at what they do. So a lot of times my stuff is just overseeing the budget, signing off on equipment or needs that we have, working on policies, making sure we're doing everything with that. A lot of times it is getting updates on what's going on in the community, and we're kind of deciding as the chief and everyone else how we're going to handle an issue. But then my role changed too, and it has become – a much different one where attending care and coalition meetings or touring a treatment facility or media requests, or I've had this incredible opportunity with this to uh, get invited by President Clinton and speak at Johns Hopkins University. I got to go to Wales wow. in the United Kingdom and speak to them about addiction, testified in a U.S. Senate hearing about the impact of fentanyl and carfentanyl on the country. So the role has really changed. I never, ever could have dreamed that any of this would have been happening both on the bad side and also on the other side of being able to stand with presidents and and testify in the senate and be seen as this person who has this experience with addiction and trying to change systems not only locally but nationally and internationally it is not what i thought policing was and again it goes back to being able to be resilient none of this was easy to become a police officer to be a police chief to do the job that you do every day as a police officer, just the daily stress and the struggle that you deal with. But then on top of it, to have the ability to have influence on the country's policy on how we're dealing with addiction has is gone beyond anything I could have imagined. Wow, that's really amazing. And we've met through online introductions through Daniel Henderson, who was a previous guest, who fell off a, you know, had his own addiction and recovery challenges after falling off a 20-story cliff. 
And uh, could you tell me a little bit about your relationship with Daniel? I've had incredible opportunity to meet these unbelievable people. And I got to tell you, I have this, if people think of police officers as superheroes or heroes, people who are in active recovery to me are some of the most heroic people I've ever met in my life. To go through these life challenges, again, it's that resiliency. You get knocked down, and, and then the, not only do you get knocked down, but then you become addicted. And having to go through that road and travel that road, not only with the physical part of it, but the mental and emotional part of it, to try to climb out of this addiction and be able to get into recovery and get your life back, because there's such a stigma to addiction. There's such a stigma that it's a, a behavioral issue or it's just willpower. But to be able to fight through that and overcome it is tremendous. I, the, to meet the people in recovery has been an absolute inspiration. It, and it, it actually balances out all the good and bad with what you see with addiction. Because in turn, I've sat with mothers and fathers who have lost their children, and you hold their hand. And, you know, that's extremely difficult. And it gets you down, and you think that maybe there's no hope, and you need people like Daniel and all these other incredible people who went through this huge life-altering, life-changing event. And it wasn't just that event that they had to deal with. It was addiction on top of it. And then to come out, and what I admire the most about the people in recovery is, to me, they are some of the most courageous people because they stand up in front of others and they talk about their quote-unquote sins. They're the most courageous people because they tell things that other people would not be able to say. They stand in front of these audiences. They're on podcasts or shows and, and things that you're doing, and they're sending this message out, and they're being completely open. To me, they are some of the most honest people, and they're forcing their honesty because they're so vulnerable. And a lot of people want to be able to be that vulnerable and honest but don't have the courage to do it. So it is inspiring to hear that. And it actually – I love listening to Daniel and others in recovery because it gives me an inspiration and hope to keep going, especially when you feel down. Yeah, when you hear the challenges they've gone through and how they've been able to succeed and overcome such massive obstacles, it's definitely inspirational for sure. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you're an educator student, you can search for podcasts by Career Cluster. So we found out what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was a police officer, and what you do today, which is a police officer. So looking back on your career, what would you do differently? Oh, man, I think going through my career now, I've been in it for 26 years. Every year, I think I would have done this differently, done that differently. But, you know, I'm on the back end of my career now, and and I'm looking towards retirement and what that's going to be like. To be quite honest, I don't think, and you hear this all the time, and it's going to sound cliche, but I don't think I would change anything. As bad as some things have been and as difficult as they have been, I've had this unique opportunity to really experience life to the fullest. I feel very lucky that I've been in a job where you could experience these incredible ups and downs. You got invited into people's homes, both for good and bad. I've been there for people's births and birthdays and graduations. But I've also been there for the their deaths and the divorces and the downturns that they take in life. And it's really changed me as a person. And I've really got this opportunity to experience every single thing that life can give you. And it has made me more of a whole person. It made me more introspective. It has made me the person I am. And I'm grateful that I've had this opportunity. I wouldn't change anything. And I, and I, I know a lot of people, for what I've seen and done, just like other cops and other first responders, 
you would think that you would say, oh, I don't, I wish I couldn't have, I would have done this differently. I wish I would have done that differently. But in reality, all of it had a purpose. All of it had a reason. And it made me who I am. And it made me, I will sit back when I retire and I will be completely content with my life. And I'll know I completed my life's mission because I got to be part of this incredible life. And I got to be a part of the lives of others and got to be involved in their lives. It, it is tremendous. And I wouldn't change anything. That's awesome. It's great knowing that even though you've had some obstacles that you still wouldn't change anything looking back on your career. That's really amazing. Well, let's talk to the student who wants to do what you do. What advice would you give them? Well, here's the thing about the military. It does open doors because people look at you as someone that's responsible, that can handle stress, that is, goes through those ups and downs and is able to be a problem solver. So, yeah, look, I, I encourage the military. It helped me out a lot. I didn't think I had a lot of options. But it is one thing you can do. The other thing you got to do with when it comes to being a police officer, and right now the market is wide open. There has not been such a huge demand for police officers, uh, of people not wanting to be police officers. It has been difficult to get people into this career field for many social reasons. But it is one of those careers, again, that you get to change people's lives. You get to be right in the middle of it. So I would recommend that. People who want to make a difference in the world, who want to have that challenge and are problem solvers, this is the perfect career for you. And whether you pick a small town to where you're more intimate with the people that you're serving or you want to be in a bigger city where you may have more opportunities to expand, such as canine, drug work, SWAT, whatever it may be, it gives you a lot of no matter what job you do, you have that opportunity to make a difference. And it will teach you a lot about yourself. It's not an easy career for sure. But it also, I still, you know, go back to those days of being a kid and, and when you're a kid, you want to be a superhero like Batman or Superman. The thing with it is those superheroes were about nobility. It was about having this job that was noble, that was sacrificing for other people. And I still believe, I know there's, a, there's people out there who say this next generation, they always say next generation is different and they're not doing this, they're not doing that. But I, I still believe there's a generation of people who want to make the world better. And if that's you, then this is the job for you. You just got to stick with it. Be resilient is a big thing with it. You got to take care of yourself. We're understanding more about mental health and how it impacts first responders. Take care of yourself. Have a good support system. And this is the job that you can change the world with. That's awesome. Well, what's uh, the best way for our listeners to learn more about either you or being a police officer? Uh, I got a Facebook page. Uh, Just go to Tom Sinan and look that up on Facebook. I'm not good at all the link stuff. I have a Facebook page, Twitter page, which I think is T sign in 11 something. I'm not for sure. Or, or you can Google um, Tom sign in and some stuff will come up there and kind of tell you a little bit about my career and what I've done and, and working with the heroin coalition and what we're doing with the addiction part of it. So I mean, I don't have necessarily a website or nothing like that. And like I said, I'm not good at the social media thing, but I am on all the social media platforms and um, I do go out to schools and, and talk to them as well as other public speaking events. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today, Tom. Oh, no, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.